podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your World Cup Daily. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I'm absolutely magical, Dave. I found these two massive red foam hands last night in one of the boxes I've just unwrapped. So all is well with the world again. Yes, yes, your house is now complete. Everybody should have two foam hands in the house, except for me. I I shouldn't have them, but you should. Um, We had a very, very strange day in the World Cup yesterday, Carl, with some inexplicable moments. Let's start with Cameroon 3, Serbia 3. Cameroon go 1-0 up on 29 minutes. Castelletto with the goal. Pavlovic and Sergei Milinkovic-Savic make it 2-1 Serbia just before half time. Two goals in two minutes. Aleksandr Mitrovic makes it 3-1 on 53 minutes. And then... Serbia decide that the best thing to do with a 3-1 lead and a couple of slow centre-backs is defend the halfway line. And they get run through once, and Vincent Abubakar scores with, to be fair, an outrageous finish. And then they continue to defend said halfway line, get cut through again, and Chupamoting gets a very simple tap-in from a squared ball to make it 3-3. What on earth were Serbia doing? They got cocky. That is the easy, easy answer there. I've seen this game played out a thousand times before. And I'll tell you the one it reminded me of most was Liverpool against Crystal Palace. When people overcommit because you've scored a few goals and you want more and everybody wants to get on the score sheet and people just surge forward into the spaces they're not supposed to be in when it's defensive transition play. And everyone wants to get on the score sheet and nobody wants to pass because they want to be the ones taking the shot and they're playing their overly difficult passes and you get cut open. If you're not completely professional on it at this level, at this kind of quality that is in the opposition side, even if it's only sparingly throughout the game or from moment to moment sometimes or just a few players, they'll punish you. That's what happened to Serbia. And they didn't heed the warning that they had. Even before the goal, they got caught uh, once exactly the same way and nearly conceded. I think it was... Abubakar dribbled past like two of them and it just took another big block at the end uh, to, to stop him scoring. And they just carried on. And the, to be fair, like Milinkovic-Savic, goalkeeper variety, was going absolutely mad at his defence and at the midfield as well, I would imagine, for not dropping deep, for nobody tracking mm. back on the first couple of breakaways. And even after they conceded the third one, they were still trying to do it. And on a corner, I think there was only one player back at one point against two forwards and he was screaming at them. So it was a very, very 
immature and silly sort of 20 minute spell from them. Um, I, I think they still should have won, to be honest. They had the chances. Mitrovic mm. not squaring that massive, massive chance that he had. He could have just put it on the plate for his teammate and he tried to shoot himself instead. Um, yeah, I'll go through. Nobody but themselves to blame. Um, they were far and away the better side when they were playing well, when they were playing properly, when they were building through the positions that they do have, using the wing-backs well, combining nicely in the final third with Talic Milinkovic-Savic, who I thought had a great game overall. Um, Mitrovic, I think, was a very silly performer yesterday, to be honest. He didn't do some of the things that he's exceptionally good at. Scored a goal, fine, but it was put on a plate for him, which is exactly what he should have done in return. Cameroon, I mean... Nothing but admiration for them, to be perfectly honest. They're obviously not as good a team, but they made absolutely the most of everything that they had. Um, I think there were two or three performers on the team who I haven't seen too much of, and I was quite impressed with. Pierre Kunde was probably top of that particular pile. Zaman Gisa, on the other hand, was fairly rotten for most of the first half, and both yeah. the first two goals before halftime were down to him. Um, but yeah, really, really crazy game overall, really good game overall, and uh, kind of leaves everybody in the balance in that group. It does. And we'll stick with that group where Brazil beat Switzerland 1-0. An excellent strike from Casemiro, the difference between the teams. A fairly fairly dull game. Switzerland were poor enough. Brazil weren't exactly inspiring. There wasn't a whole lot of creativity on display. Brazil had one or two half chances. But the Casemiro goal gives them the three points. They top the group now with Switzerland second on three points. What did you make of that game? Uh, Kind of the same as Brazil's opener, to be honest. They were solid. They were mostly dominant. They had people in good areas, but nothing outrageous other than when one or two players got involved. I thought Vinny Jr. again was very lively, very good at times. Um, And Brazil just had that extra bit of quality sometimes that you see in a, let's say a run of the mill league game in the middle of February or whatever, when it's quite tight and nothing that much happens, but the better team with a couple of players just score a goal somehow. And then they kind of see it out. So it was not too different from that. As you say, really, really well taken goal, very, very quick one touch movement, which led to the goal, which is again, something which we haven't seen too much of at this world cup in general, not just from Brazil. It's all been a little bit slow and a little bit in front of the defenses and all the rest of it. But when you get, moving quickly when you get those combination plays and it's one touch around the defenders and then you take on an early shot, sometimes you'll get your reward. Um, I don't have any problem with Brazil having won this game. I have quite a big problem with quite a few websites that I usually use listing Brazil's manager as Adenor Leonardo Bacci, which completely confused me for a minute. Um, Brazil through, as you'd expect. Switzerland yeah. have a bit to do. It's kind of a shootout and they know a draw is good enough for them, barring an unlikely Cameroon win. Yeah, so Brazil will face Cameroon. They don't need anything. They are through. They will need a point for be certain of top spot. In the other game, it's Switzerland against Serbia. A draw puts Switzerland through. Serbia need the victory. Well, a draw puts them through, assuming Cameroon don't beat Brazil by a couple of clear goals. Mm. Serbia need to win that game. That is a massive game. It's. I don't think it's going to be a fun game either. They just need to win it. Um, in the other group, 
that had games going on yesterday, which was Group H. South Korea 2, Ghana 3. Mohamed Salisu scores on 24 minutes after a bit of a mess in the South Korea defence. There was a suspicion of handball on that one, though, by Andre Ayew. Um, Mohamed Kudus made it two on 34 minutes. South Korea fought back and Cho scores twice on 58 and 61. The second goal, I was really impressed with not just the leap, but the aggression and the bravery to just fling himself at that ball. But on 68 minutes, Kudus makes it uh, 3-2 with a lovely left-footed strike. First time as the ball came across to him was missed by a teammate and he slotted it home. It came on a day where Mohamed Kudus was linked to Liverpool by uh, a noted Dutch journalist, Carl. So give me your thoughts on the game and give me your thoughts on him as a potential Liverpool signing. Oh, reverse order. I love Kudus. I've liked Kudus for a long, long time and we were both very, very excited to see him mm. in the Ajax side against Liverpool in the Champions League. So... I am all on board with this. You can use him wherever you want. I'd prefer him further yeah. forward just because he has such an impact, um, like I spoke about before this game in, in yesterday's podcast. Um, he, he was fine, central midfield. He can control things from there, but you get so much more out of him, I think, when he's closer to goal. And you know, This was obviously a bit of an extreme example in the end, but it shows that he gets into such good positions. He's really important to build up play. Uh, I think they used him very well yesterday. And I must say also, um, Jordan A was excellent yesterday in this game as a as a match overall. It was again pretty crazy. The first two games yesterday, uh, eleven goals between them was it? Yeah. So lots and lots of excitement, lots and lots of nonsense going on. Korea were all too nice to be perfectly honest. They had nothing about them up until they started doing what Ghana had done and slinging in the crosses. And Cho, fair play to him, he was. Um, Andy Carroll reincarnate for a little while there. Both goals pretty much exactly the same. Like you say, super, super aggressive for the second one. Made sure he got there before. I think it was two defenders he towered over and yeah. the keeper. And every single one of them were ending up in the back of the net if that was what was needed. So excellent, excellent there. Um, one thing I would say yesterday, <clears throat> excuse me, Inyaki Williams led the line for Ghana and he was never really a, a goal-scoring threat. I think he had one run through and shot, which was... I'm not sure if it's saved or side netting in the end, but I thought he led the line really well. Channels all day long, always giving an out ball to the team. Hold up play fairly good most of the time. Uh, linked really well with A from second line. And uh, maybe the biggest travesty of the World Cup in a on-the-pitch sense, at the very least, uh, claims the assist for Mohamed Kudus' second goal for his air shot, <laughs> which actually just flicked off his toe and did not change direction, trajectory, or speed at all. That's an assist, apparently. Yeah, well, he didn't. He himself didn't claim that. He was just given it. We're going to talk about somebody claiming something they didn't do in a second. Mm. Uh, I agree with you on Kudus. I think you can play him right wing, left wing, false nine. You can play both wings in 4-4-2 or as part of a front two. You can play as an eight, as the right-sided eight in a 4-3-3 as well. I, I think you buy him and figure out where he plays afterwards. He's he's a he's a star in the making. Um, it was really nice to see Camaldine Suleimana get some minutes, but I really like that right-sided link-up of Kudus with Tariq Lamptey from behind. I thought that worked quite well for Ghana, and I'd like to see that more. 
Um, in the other game in their group, Portugal 2, Uruguay 0. Another dreadful performance by Uruguay. Portugal go one up on 54 minutes. Bruno Fernandes flicks across into the box. Cristiano Ronaldo leaps, doesn't get anything on the ball at all. The ball manages to find its way into the far corner. And Cristiano, being Cristiano, having offered nothing in the game to that point, decides that that's his goal and proceeds to celebrate like he has just scored the best goal of all time. Uh, on 93 minutes, there's, I think, one of the worst penalty decisions I've ever seen. Um, Jose Jimenez is falling, puts his hand down to stop himself. The ball touches his hand as Bruno Fernandes tries to dribble past him and is somehow given as a penalty. Uh, Fernandes steps up and scores. Now, my sources tell me Cristiano was also claiming that as a goal for himself because if he'd been on the pitch, he would have taken it. Um, but, you know, the, mortified for him, absolutely mortified for him. Carl, how did Portugal keep getting these dodgy penalty decisions and what did you make of the game? Well, the game was rubbish. I thought Uruguay were, again, very, very disappointing. There was nowhere near enough um, attacking intent from them, not enough committing players forward from that midfield line of five, if you like. The one time Benton could, did it obviously he almost scored an absolute worldie. But then when did we see it again from him? Not at all. Valverde didn't do it at all. Vecino, I think, a couple of times left channel, but not enough. And the wing-backs weren't high enough. It was just, it was very aggressive and it was like in Portugal's faces and they frustrated them a bit. But in attack, they didn't do anywhere near enough. Like I don't remember any combination at all between Dow and, and Cavani. Nothing, nothing whatsoever between the two of them. Um, I, I was well disappointed with Uruguay, to be honest. And again, they've left themselves lots and lots to do. The penalty is nonsense. Absolute rubbish. They got a rubbish penalty in the first game. This was worse. Uh, I had a bit of a debate on, on Twitter with someone about which one was worse last night. This one for me it was a mile worse because it was not a rule. It's literally the opposite of the rule. If it strikes a ball which is used as a bracing or support hand as you fall into the ground, it isn't a penalty. Those are the, the laws. It's absolutely ridiculous. And add on top of that, take the penalty, at least two Portugal players, if not a third one as well, are inside the box. Like yeah. Clearly two steps inside the box. It should have been retaken. It shouldn't have been given in the first place. Portugal have got lots and lots of fortune in the group stage so far. I would say at least two vital goals have been of um, you know big importance for them and very, very fortunate. And it never balances out in the way that, oh, they've used up their luck in the group stage and they won't get it in the knockouts. No, but it shows that they have a reliance to lead the games on this and on the games where they don't get fortune. I'm yet to see that they would absolutely break through with clear uh, attacking deliberate play, let's say. You know, they've scored a penalty which wasn't and a cross which was missed. That's yes. what their goals were yesterday. So it, a really good delivery and obviously part of the intention from Fernandes is to put it in dangerous areas, which that could happen if nobody touches it or a defender even gets a little bit on it or anything like that. So that's, I'm not saying that Fernandes is lucky for the goal, but Portugal as a whole have not created enough clear, proper, decent chances for themselves again. No, they haven't. And if you think about even their goals in the first game, they get a dodgy penalty when Cristiano dives. And the other two goals come on counterattacks because Ghana have to commit players forward. And a big defensive mistake as well. 
Yeah, exactly. So uh, they, Portugal haven't impressed me at all. They've won their two games, but they haven't impressed me at all. Um, they are through, and congrats to them, but they're very, very fortunate to be through. So Portugal will take on South Korea. South Korea can still go through with the victory. And in the other game, it will be Ghana versus Uruguay. Those should be good games, or well, at least the Ghana-Uruguay game. Uruguay have to come out and attack. They can't do anything else. They have to win that game, and they have to hope that Portugal beat uh, beat South Korea, or, or even a draw should be enough if Uruguay score two goals. Um, just Uruguay just need to not be cowardly. Yeah, just on that note, exactly that, that Mexico, Tunisia and Uruguay are the only nations who haven't scored yet at the World Cup. Mm. Uh, Mexico obviously have talent, but attacking issues, we, we've seen that. Tunisia, I don't think they're, they're very good. They've been very defensive-minded as well, apart from like the last half hour or so against Australia, but they haven't scored in their two supposedly easy games and they have France to play, so it was a difficult group anyway. Uruguay, you, you expect so much more of them. And look, they should have scored. They should have scored at least one. Suarez had a really good chance he put wide. Benton Cole, one that I mentioned earlier. Uh, I think there was a they, they headers hit, as well. They hit the post as well. Who hit the post? I forget that. Was it Valverde? Somebody hit the post oh, yeah, about yeah. 20 yards out. Oh, okay, yeah. So the Maxi Gomez. Oh, Maxi Gomez is exactly Maxi who it was. Yeah. Um, so much more is required from them. They've not been. Good. They've not been. No, they've <laughs> not, not been, been good. good. <laughs> no, that that's, that that sums it up. We'll leave it there. Right. Let's move on to today's game. So today is where things change. Today, rather than the four time slots, there are only two time slots. There are three p.m. UK kickoffs and seven p.m. UK kickoffs. Um, the three p.m. kickoffs are in Group A. We have Ecuador versus Senegal. This is a vital match for both sides. Ecuador currently second in the group on four points. Senegal are third on three points. A draw sends Ecuador through. Senegal need the victory. How do you see this one working out? I think Ecuador have shown more than enough to get at least a draw from this game so far. Senegal have been alternately decent and very not decent in different spells of matches. Uh, there's definitely attacking talent there, which can trouble Ecuador, but I'm still waiting for a little bit more uh, consistency and cohesive in their build-up play. I think defensively, they've not been too reliable yet. Mendy had a stinker first match, obviously. I think Koulibaly was a little bit dodgy last time out as well. Um, Diallo better once they put him centre-back instead of left-back. And I think the more or less 4-4-2 shape last time suited them more rather than trying to play mm. sort of one of the centre mids a lot higher uh, in support of one striker. But Ecuador, I think, have been very, very good in build-up play. I think they've got individuality there to open up quite a few defences. Uh, they've obviously got one or two very informed players. Um, if everybody's fit and they you know, stick maybe with the, the wing-back system where Stupinian can overlap lots down the left-hand side, it's been very, very important. If Plato is on good form again, I think that they will have enough to edge out Senegal here. So I'd go 2-1, but even a draw, obviously, is good enough for them. Yeah, I think I'd go the draw. I'll go 1-1. I think Ecuador defensively will be strong enough. Defensively will be strong enough to keep keep things tight, not overcommit. Am I right in thinking the yellow cards reset after the group stage? I think it's from the quarterfinals onwards, but I will check that while you talk about Netherlands. Qatar. 
interesting because Ecuador have a couple of key players on one yellow card that they couldn't afford to be without for a round of 16 game, which likely will be against England. Um, Netherlands versus Qatar is the other game. Netherlands just need to avoid defeat and they will go through. If they do lose, it then goes down to what happens in the other game. Um, a draw in the other game could send both teams through if the Netherlands were to lose 3-0, which seems very unlikely. Qatar haven't shown us a whole lot of much, except for the fact that they don't look like they'll get absolutely battered. Um, a 2-0 defeat in the first game, 3-1 in the second game. They got their World Cup goal. They've done themselves proud to an extent. They are arguably the weakest team at this World Cup. Um, how do you see Netherlands versus Qatar working out? I think this will be fairly dull. I think it's another opportunity for Netherlands to maybe tweak the attacking line and maybe they'll make a couple of changes elsewhere. But I don't expect that it's going to be the game to light up the tournament. I think Qatar probably play a bit of a similar way and they'll try and stay tight and in shape and all the rest of it up until a bit later on in the match and maybe try and get themselves another goal or another point if they're still close enough in the game. Um, I don't think it'll be a thriller. What about you? Yeah, I'm the same. I, I think it's going to be quite a dull game. I think the Netherlands would happily take a 1-0 win and just get get themselves through. I don't think they'll commit too many men forward. Um, we know they'll be strong defensively as long as Virgil is playing. But this may be a game where they rotate a little bit and, and play a couple of others. You can, I, I don't imagine he'll leave Van Dijk out, but he might change one or two other things. I'd quite like to see him try something different at left wing back because Daly Blind has not been good. It's not a position that suits him at all. I don't know why you need to have him and Aki in the same team, why you couldn't play Malashia. I know he's not fantastic, but at least he's attack-minded and will get forward. I'd really like to see Frimpong play as the right wing back because I think he can offer a lot more than Denzel Dumfries and maybe give them a little bit more incision down that side. Dumfries is a bit more of a straight line runner and getting on the back post type of player. He's not great on the ball. He's very direct, but he's not great in the ball, whereas Frimpong is outstanding in possession. Um, I'll go 1-1 then. You've got a 2 What did you say? 2-0? I don't think I picked score in the end. I'm going to go... I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise yeah. me at all. Uh, moving on then, the 7 p.m. kickoffs. So first up, Iran versus USA. So this game um, mm. got quite an interesting start when Tyler Adams was pulled up on his pronunciation of Iran. Uh, I might be pronouncing it wrong. I hope I'm not. Um there's obviously a lot away from football that goes on with this game. But on the football pitch, I think this is quite a decent game, to be honest. Iran are currently second in the group, having beaten the Welsh. USA have had two draws so far. I don't think there's any doubt that the USA have more talent than Iran. But Iran showed against Wales that they can be well-organised, solid in their build-up play, and they've got a bit of a cutting edge up front when needed. I, I still think the US are favourites, though. I just think there's more talent in that team, and if they can keep it tight at the back, I, I think the USA can win this game. Yeah, um, 
I'm going to say it depends a little bit on which Iran turn up because we've had two really different performances from them. That's the first thing. Uh, assuming it's more of the normal variety, which was the Wales game, which is what we were expecting against England and didn't get. Um, I think it's going to be quite difficult for USA to break them down, first of all. I think that there's really good pressure on the ball from midfield from both teams, but maybe USA tried to do that a little bit higher upfield. The thing I've not seen from USA is the ability to do that all game long yet. Um, it's kind of in two halves of that from the two matches. USA definitely have more technical ability through, let's say, the wider areas and the attack. But if Asmoon is fit, obviously there's going to be some doubts over that. And certainly for his 90-minute fitness, uh, Taremi was in really good form. I think there's good hold-up play and link play. And again, quite good individuality for Iran. USA should win, right? That's That's the bottom line here. They have enough good players and they have enough goals throughout the side that they should win this game mm. but I wonder if Iran might make this a little bit more um, edgy as a game than it than it normally will they be. shithouse their way to a draw yes is, is, yes that is the yeah. thing yeah um, USA have a couple of injury doubts as well Weston McKenney's been carrying a knock since the the Wales game I think he could be vital. I think if they, if the if the US can play the way they did against England with a little bit more composure in the final third, I think they can win this game. But that's a big ask on a couple of days rest, having put in such a big shift. And we saw both in that in that England game and in the Welsh game that they do tend to tire out. I think Berhalter needs to get his substitutions more spot on. I wonder if he needs to stagger that midfield a bit, maybe, and maybe have McKenney as like last 30 minutes, you come on and give you, give us everything you have rather than starting with Adams and Musa. Maybe you start somebody else in there and have McKenney as a, you know, a spark off the bench, a, a power play off the bench. I'm going to pick the U S to win. But I think Iran will make it as ugly as possible. I'll go 1-0 to the US. I'm going to go 1-1. And I think that I think that USA will play the same 11. I think this is... Maybe actually, I think Sarge might start this one. I think maybe bring him back in for, for right. But <clears throat> again, I don't think that their subs have been impactful enough. I don't think that they've been quite game-changing enough. For Iran, that's probably a, a reasonable point to make as well, actually, because uh, Ali Reza Jahampakash is obviously one of their first attackers off the bench. Mm. He's suspended for this game. Um, two yellows across what must be a combined about 30 minutes of play or something like that. Oh, and on that point, of course, I should mention, we mentioned earlier, yeah, it's after the quarters that the yellow cards are wiped out. So it's just for the semis, you've got to get there without being suspended, basically. Um, yeah, I'm going to go for 1-1, I think. Okay. And the final game then, well, it's not the final game, it's on at the same time as that one, but England versus Wales. Wales have been dreadful in this competition so far. England obviously had the big win over Iran, but we're very, very poor against the US. We're quite fortunate to get out of there with the draw. They need a they don't need a bigger performance, they just need to, you know, avoid defeat by five clear goals or whatever it is. But I think to go into the knockout stages from a confidence point of view, I do think they need to show a lot more 
they were poor in the Iran game until the first goal went in. And then they were able to get a couple of quick goals before they really started to play well. And that boosted the confidence and lifted the level. I feel like England need a performance, but Wales do as well, just for their own just for their own self-worth. I mean, they've been dreadful so far. One of I would say Wales have been one of the worst teams at this competition. Yeah, unfortunately so. I don't think they've done themselves justice. I think they're okay in that Wales, in the USA game. They were rubbish in the first half, but they reacted well and they were still in the game. So I think that that's okay. That's not quite to that extent, but that's what I expect from Wales. You know, they keep it tight, but then they didn't break out of shape enough in the first half. And then they make sure they're in the game and they find a way to score a goal. So piece, long range, corners, headers, that sort of thing. So that was okay. That was on par with what I would expect from Wales, even if it was a bit more of a a variance in how much they defended to then how much they attacked in different halves. The England one was the big, uh, sorry, Iran was the big disappointment. Um, I don't think that they did anywhere near enough in attacking play. I don't think there was enough combination play there. In football in terms, you're absolutely right. They're one of the poorest here. They've not committed plays forward in the right areas. Their supposed key players like Aaron Ramsey, I think, has been a nothing shirt whatsoever. Um, maybe Definitely. fitness is an issue there. The fact that you don't play football for two years at a time. We've mentioned a couple of other players who have been in a similar situations and have had stinking World Cup so far. Eden Hazard. Uh, there are plenty of them actually around, so we're not going to list them all now. But they're in with a chance and they have to win a derby to do it. They're the smaller side in the derby, if you want to put it in club terms, and they have to win that game and they can go through. They wouldn't in your version of the Iran-USA result, but they would in mine. Yes. I assume they're going to be, someone on the sidelines is going to be kept up to date. And if that game is a, you know, a draw heading into the final 20 minutes and Wales-England are either drawing or they are ahead or something like that. Of course, they're going to know. And there there are players in this Wales side who, A, have stepped up when their clubs have needed them, B, have stepped up when Wales have needed them, and C, have been part of these smaller clubs who have done a number on the bigger clubs in these games yeah. that we're talking about. So there's no suggestion that they cannot still go through or that, you know, it's such an outrageous prospect that there's next to no hope of it happening. There is. And there especially is because this England side, on the flip side of the conversation, has habitually proven an inability to really put in top, top performances. And they'd rather grind it out. They'd rather be in that sort of situation as well, where they have to remain defensively tight and not be too adventurous going forward and all the rest of it. And it makes for a terrible game. And more often than not, it works out in their favour, certainly in qualifications, in group stages, that kind of thing. But results have not been that good of late. Like Nations League was obviously dreadful. I don't really put too much stock in Nations League in terms of performance level results and all that, because I think it's a dreadful competition and nobody cares about it, especially the players, in my opinion. Um, But it also does lead on to your form and your expectations and your mindset going into this competition. So I think it's a very difficult situation for England to get themselves out of. Like we mentioned before against Iran up until I think probably 2-0 England were exactly the same way. It was only after that that they really start to come out and play like the elite Champions League level players that they are. So there's no guarantee that they do anything of any note against Wales here. No, it is notable that the leaked England team is without Jude Bellingham, but includes one Jordan Henderson. A Jordan Henderson, Declan Rice double pivot isn't exactly the most exciting thing in the world and would make you question why Calvin Phillips was brought along anyway. 
He's not the only player at this tournament. Like I was watching the Uruguay game last night and thinking, why on earth was Ronald Arejo brought? He's not even on the bench. Um, why was Calvin Phillips brought if he's not fit enough to play? Even if he's not, he's not even fit enough to play 45? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a few questionable decisions made in some of the squads. And I, do, <clears throat> I think we spoke about it before the World Cup started. The fact that there's three extra players, if you like, in the squads is probably enabled that to be the case for a few managers um so questionable decision anyway but if you don't have someone else you want to call up i don't know what the next alternative for england would have been in midfield because we were already quite far down that list and already probably not wanting to call up too many more but listen if henderson starts again he and the other midfielders should be good enough to beat that wales midfield Mm. the problem is that they have not really put in performances which suggest there's a, a huge huge gap there no no i think england will win the game because they're frankly just a better team than the welsh and the welsh are far too reliant on one player being gareth bale to be superman every time around so i'll go for a 2-0 england win i'm going to go for the exact same score and match progression as I did when these two nations met in the Euros a few years back. Wales to score first, England to win 2-1. That was 2016. In the group stage, Wales actually topped that group ahead of England, but did lose the game to England. England drew their other two games under Roy Hodgson. What a man. What a tremendous man. And on they went to the knockout phases and were knocked out beautifully by Iceland. And hopefully... Hopefully they lose to uh, Ecuador in the next round because that would just be fantastic. Uh, Moises can dog walk Declan Rice again. In uh, in my prediction scenario here, Ecuador actually finish above Netherlands because I've got them winning against Senegal today oh, and Netherlands yeah. drawing with Qatar. So it would be England-Netherlands. England-Netherlands could be very interesting. You think Virgil might get up for that one? <laughs> 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 right. What have you got for people to read today? Uh, I can't remember what I'm up to in terms of plugging stuff, so let's go for... The Belgian one seemed to go down quite well yesterday, not with some Belgians. Actually, very well with some Belgians and not very well with some other ones, so let's go with the Belgian one again. Um, Why they're bad. (laughs) I imagine it's a long read. Um, Yeah, so check out Carl on Twitter, at Carl Match. Make sure you're reading his work on The Independent. Don't tell him I said this, but it is very good. It's frustratingly very good for me. Um, follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle and follow me at Mr. Two Footed for you know abuse and things like that. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds. And it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.